Hey, uh, take your copy of God's Word this morning, if you will, and turn to the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. We'll begin looking at verse 22 and following in just a moment. But as you find that passage, I want to tell you about a four-year-old named Susie. Four-year-old little girl named Susie had gone to preschool for the very first time. And on her first day or so, they told her this story. It was a story about a lady named Snow White and a prince they called Charming. Now, many of you have heard that story, right? It is a Disney story. Hopefully in the gathering, you're more familiar with Disney. And as they were telling her this story, they told all about how, of course, Snow White had fallen asleep and, and all of this and how she was awakened by a kiss and all of these other things that had gone on. And at the end of the story, she, she, was, she was so excited to hear how it all resolved. And she went home. She went home to see her mom that afternoon. And as she saw her mom, she said, Mom, I got to tell you a story. Tell you a story about a guy named Prince Charming and a lady named Snow White. And she began to relate the whole story back and back and back and forth. And again, she got to the final, final scene. She got to the resolution of the story. She looked at her mom and she said, And you know what happened then, Mom, after it was all done? Do you know what, it was, what happened? And her mom looked at her and said, well, sure, they lived happily ever after. The four-year-old little Susie looked around and said, no, mom, they didn't live happily ever after. They got married. <laughs> you know, when I think about marriage... There are all kinds of different viewpoints and different understandings. There are, there are those who think, you know, marriage is just something where you live hep, happily ever after. You never have any kind of issue. Now, usually that view is held by those who have not been married, right? Because those of us who are married understand there are a lot of difficulties, that come in marriage, that come in any relationship, but particularly in marriage, there are difficulties that come. You can find happiness, though. Unlike Susie, who probably thought marriage was not any kind of happiness, there is happiness and there is joy within the marriage relationship. I would suggest to you that the marriage relationship is the greatest earthly relationship we can have. I believe that as you think about the relationships that God allows you to enjoy. Certainly, our relationship with Him is priority. It is foremost. But outside of our relationship with Him, the earthly relationships that we have here, the greatest earthly relationship is found in marriage. Now, even Paul gave priority to marriage. And remember, Paul understood he was a single individual, and he even told us that there is a gift of singleness and that there are some who are called to singleness. And he says it is, it is to be preferred in many ways. But then in that same kind of attitude, he writes Ephesians 5 to show us how marriage itself can display the good news of Jesus, how the marriage that we can have is rooted in creation and in Christ and certainly in consecration as we live together. I want you to see what he says as we look at Ephesians chapter 5. Verse 21, he had told us that we are to submit to one another in the fear of God. So in other words, there is a mutual submission that all of us should have to one another. 
all of us should live humbly before each other. So when I come into this place and I see you, I should live with a humble state before you. When I see you on the street, there should be humility that I display toward who you are as I think about your interest, as I think about who God has made you to be. So there is mutual submission. But then what he does is he reminds us that there is, there is a relationship of marriage where you find differences, where you find... You find blessing and joy, and he gives us some type of practical application as we come to his passage. Look look in verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ... So let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery. But I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, Let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So upon the heels of saying that we are mutually submissive to one another, he comes and he reminds us of this great relationship of marriage and how there is equality, but yet there are differences. How marriage is to be one man and one woman bound together in a covenant relationship for a lifetime. Two equal partners with distinct differences. In particular, he'll say that the husband is to be the spiritual leader of the household. Now, let me try to flesh this out for you today. Because I understand that this passage seems to be so out of touch with society and culture and our, maybe many understanding even within the church today. So let me try to, to flesh it out for you as best as I understand it as Paul lays it out for us. When we think about this design of marriage, and this is a design, that there is one man and one woman that are called together in a covenant relationship for a lifetime— that they are equal partners before God, and yet there are distinct differences. When I think about that design, I understand that that design is a creational design, that it was designed in creation itself, that God wove this type of relationship together in the creation event. See, as we think about this passage this morning, there are so many who would say, well, this, is a, this, this passage is rooted in culture. It is the way of life. It is the way of life for Paul and for those who are reading this. So they would say it's a cultural design. Others would try to object this morning to this passage, and they would say that this passage is rooted in the fall. Because remember, it was 
after the sin and the consequences that came upon Adam and Eve, that the Scripture says that there would be this hard, domineering rule of the man over his wife. You would be right in some cases because it does speak about that, but it speaks, I think, of the distortion of sin itself. We're going to get to that a little later. Creation, it's, creation shows us that there are roles, there are places for us in our marriage relationship. The creational design of marriage. In verse 22, it says again, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Notice Paul is speaking to the Lord. He's not talking to culture and saying, it's because culture does it this way. He's not speaking about how it is the sinful distortion of the design. He says it is to the Lord, that the Lord has given us, in a sense, this design. In Colossians 3.18, it tells wives to submit to their own husbands as is fitting to the Lord. That language, fitting, it means that there is a legal precedent. It is a legal standard. In other words, it has been woven into creation itself that this is what God intended in marriage. Even Paul, as he will speak back to Genesis... You look at verse 31 that we read a moment ago, which is, again, quotation of Genesis 2, 24. It says, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. In that passage, he is referring back to the Genesis account. And he says, There was this design in creation. God intended for a man to leave his father and mother and to cleave. That word cleave means to be glued together or to be concreted together. In other words, there is a holy glue that holds you together in a marriage relationship. He says a man is to leave his father and mother, cleave unto his wife. Man, I, I, I feel like I need to stop there and preach a little bit. Wives, don't you think I need to stop and preach just a little bit? You know, that leaving father and mother, you know, kind of moving on. There is a healthy uh, detachment, emancipation from your parents where you begin to initiate a new family. Now, some of you who are parents, you probably wished I'd preach a little more about this too, Right? Because if they leave and they cut some of the ties, that means that your financial obligations are not quite as much. He says it would be the man that would initiate the relationship. It would be one man, one woman coming together. The man would initiate the relationship. He would take the lead in the very beginning of the relationship. And there would be some type of headship that would be seen in the creation account as he would lead Eve, Adam would lead, lead Eve, his wife. Jesus affirmed this. For those who say Jesus never made any statement about this, obviously you haven't read many of Jesus' statements. Because Jesus in Matthew 19 says this, Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female and said, for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then, they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. Jesus, as he was speaking about the Genesis account, he was sanctioning his understanding of marriage. 
And he talked again about how man would leave and he would initiate this new relationship. It is a creational design. God created male and female. Notice that. He created gender itself. If you were here this last Wednesday night, we talked a little bit about this. We talked about how God created gender. He created us to be male and female. And that there was a uniqueness with that gender that he had given us. There are, there are differences and beauty that you would find in these gender. Let me, let me stop just a moment. As a matter of fact, let me just get you, look to the person next to you. I don't know if they're a guy or they're a gal. And I want you to say this. Guys are different. <laughs> they are very different. Now I want you to look at that same person. And I want you to say, there's no doubt ladies are different. <laughs> Would you agree? Guys and ladies, they're different. Absolutely. Every time I go through a premarital counseling session or I work with different ones, I recognize, I'm reminded that we in our gender, we're different. Guys and gals are different. It's okay. We communicate differently. There's a book I always will recommend to people. It'll, it's a book entitled Men Are Like Waffles and Women Are Like Spaghetti. It speaks about communication skills and how men are more like, just give me the facts. Let me box it into my waffle kind of understanding. And women, everything, it just seems to run together like spaghetti, you know? They can connect topic after topic after topic. I tell them to read that. Under, try, to, try to understand it. Hopefully it'll help you in marriage. We're, we're just, we're different. We're different. And it's fine to be different, absolutely. It's wonderful that God has made us different. See, what is being projected upon us today is the idea that equality says you must be the same. That equality is sameness. My friends, equality is not sameness. You can be equal. You can have value and worth. And yet you can still be different in who you are. Men and women are equal before the Lord Jesus, and yet they are different. Tim Keller points out in the creation event, and he says that when God said he was looking for a suitable helper, a suitable helper for Adam, he says that word suitable actually translates two words, two words in the Hebrew. The Hebrew words are like opposite, like opposite. They translate it suitable. Think about that. Like opposite. How can you be alike and opposite at the same time? And yet, I think what the text was saying is that God was going to create somebody that was different, and yet this individual was going to complement his life, his identity. Those of us who are married, there is some sense in where God puts opposites together, right? And yet... He does that so he can refine us and complement us and work in our lives. Equal partners with distinct differences. 
here Paul says there are differences even in the roles we play. He says here that the husband is to lead his family, that he says he is the head. In other words, he, there is some type of source coming from him. He is, he is the one that is providing leadership to the family, to the wife. Now let me work down this if I can because there are so many misunderstandings today and I want to tell you what biblical headship of the husband does not mean. This idea of the biblical headship or leadership of the husband does not mean that the wife is worth less than her husband. I just told you a moment ago that we are equal partners before God. Why? Because in Genesis 1.27, it says that God looks and he says, let us make man in our own image. And, and it says then to us that he made man in his image and then he made them male and female. It's in that same category, same idea. In other words, men bear the image of God and so do women. Again, if you were here Wednesday night, we talked some about the Imago Dei, the image of God, which resides in every person that has breath. And because of every person that is here on this earth or even in his or her mother's womb, because each one bears the image of God, each one should be respected as the life that God has given Everybody. The Amago Day. Some of you say, but I don't understand that. How can you be equal and yet this scripture say that wives are to submit to their husbands? How is that equality? I would give you the example of the Trinity for just a moment. Think about the Trinity. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Would you agree with me that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are all of equal essence and attribute. They're equally powerful. They're equally God. Each person. Right? Good. Going to do a doctrinal study in about four weeks probably now. They are equally God. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Have the essence, the attributes of deity. And yet... Did not Jesus willingly submit himself to the Father? He was equal to the Father. He had the power just as the Father had, but he willingly submitted to the Father. It did not take away from his equality. Rather, he saw what his role was, was to come. And what a role. A role to come and to die for us on the cross of Calvary, to be resurrected and to provide us salvation. And yet, at each step... He was in the Father's will. He was submitting himself to the Father. He was being about the Father's business. You can have a different, you can have a different role and still be of the same equality, the same value, the same worth. Biblical leadership of the husband does not mean that the wife is worth less than her husband. It does not mean the wife is of lesser intelligence. There are many case studies right here before me. <laughs> Biblical leadership and headship of the husband does not mean that the wife has lesser spiritual discernment. 
I would argue as I look at 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1, which talks about the unbelieving husband and how Peter tells the wife, who is a believing wife, to stay with him and to pray for him and to seek him. But he, she, he also says you are to submit to him. Now think about that. You and I would totally agree if she is a Christian, she's got a whole lot more spiritual discernment than he does. So it's not saying that just because the husband is the leader of the household that somehow the wife is of lesser spiritual discernment. In many ways, there are wives that have great spiritual discernment. I'm going to be honest. I'm grateful for mine who speaks into my life and reminds me from time to time about different spiritual things and seeing things. She often is one who speaks into my life. I, look, she writes my sermons. I'm going to let her speak into my life, you know? <laughs> Biblical leadership, headship of the husband does not mean that the wife submits to every man. Notice this. Submit to your own husband's didn't say submit to every man. It says submit to your own husbands. This is a family dynamic. And I love this picture that it gives us, not only here in verse 22, but in verse 23, and really in verse 25 as well. It's the idea is that's your husband. That's yours. This is your wife. That, that's yours. Not in a possessive type of jealous way, but in the, in the way of, hey, God has put you together and there is a connection that is there. And that's, look, you can look and say, that's my man. You can look and say, that's my woman. There's a distinct relationship that is there. You don't, do not have to submit to every man. A wife does not. Also, biblical leadership and headship does not mean that the wife submits to immoral demands or requests of her husband. Just because the husband says something does not mean that she capitulates, especially if it is ungodly or immoral. Don't miss this. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Who's the boss? God is. And no matter whether it's a parent, a husband, and a authority and government, whatever else, if they tell you to do something that is ungodly and immoral, you have a responsibility to say, uh-uh, not going to happen. I must follow him. Biblical leadership and headship does not mean that the wife gives up opportunity to influence her husband. i take you back to 1 Peter 3. In her submission to an unbelieving husband, what she is hoping is to win him to the Lord. She is trying to influence him. I would say to you that it is perfectly fine and, and good for women to have influence with their husbands. They should seek to influence them in the right way. What does it mean? It means caring respect for the husband and his leadership. In verse 33, it said, Let each one of you particular that be husbands, so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that he respect or she respects the husband. This is a creational design. God began it this way. It's not cultural. It's not just a result of the fall. It is creational. And it is a Christ-centered design. A Christ-centered. I don't know if you noted this, but when Paul is making his argument, he pivots to Christ and Christ's relationship to the church. 
because it is rooted in Christ and who He is. He, he says that there is a Christ-centered design. Christ and His bride, Christ and His body, those two analogies that He will use. Christ and His bride. Uh, look again, again at the Scripture here. It says, Verse 23, the husband is the head of the wife, is also Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let wives be to their own husbands. Verse 25, husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. Husbands, your leadership should be based upon the sacrificial love of the Lord Jesus. You and I should be demonstrating the greatest example of love that the example of love Jesus demonstrated for us. Jesus loved the church so much, what did he do? He sacrificed himself. I read this week that he loved the church literally to death. When he placed his arms there on that cross, he was saying, I love you this much. I give myself for you. That is the love a husband should have for his wife. It is not domineering. It is not abusive. It is a self-sacrificial love. You are willing to give yourself, your selfishness, your desires. You are to focus on her. This is the distinction of Christian marriage, by the way. You and I should be demonstrating marriage in a distinctly Christian way. Now, I'm grateful for those who have been faithful and they come from other different paths of life. But I'm going to tell you that you and I should be demonstrating the greatest picture of marriage because we know the greatest love that has ever been known here on this earth. If I know Jesus and what he's done for me, then that should call me to live life in a loving way to my wife and to my family. A distinctly Christian marriage. He says, Christ and his bride. Christ shows us how he loved his bride, the church, and he was sacrificial. But also, he uses the analogy. It actually draws out of the first analogy, but he uses a second analogy in verse 28. He says, so husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church, for we're members of his body. Notice this. And this is really the context in which he quotes Genesis 2, 24. He said the idea is that when two become one, they become one flesh. The one flesh principle of Christian marriage. It's like when you come together, no longer are there two separate identities, but now there is one type of unified relationship. And he says, you know, when I came along and this is Jesus. When he came along and he married the church, he allowed, well, this church became his bride, so to speak. It also became his flesh, just as Genesis 2, 24 says. The two become one. And he says, no one intentionally harms his own body. You wouldn't, I mean, it doesn't make sense. 
that you would harm your own body. And what Jesus says is that your wife, your wife is like your body. And if you would not hurt your own body, what, why would you do things that would hurt your wife? Every kingdom husband ought to outserve his wife because he should love her sacrificially and selflessly. He is to take the initiative. It is not our doctrine in our theology that has caused all of the recent difficulties that we have seen, although that's the charge that has been made against biblical Christians. It is a corruption a sinful corruption of God's intention of husband and wife relationships. Remember again, I said to you in the fall, it said that the consequence for the woman is that she would have a desire for her husband. The, the idea there, I think, is that there would be this struggle within the marriage and that he would domineer over her. That is because of sinful corruption. No husband, no man should ever abuse, domineer, dominate his wife or any other woman in his relationships, ever. The church, when it sees things like this, whether it's called a Me Too movement or whatever else, the church ought to stand and say there is no place for abusive behavior. And for you to take the Scripture and try to justify your own, your own kind of sinful actions is something that is not appropriate and something that will be rejected by the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Husbands ought to love, love their wives. Someone has said a woman was not made out of the man's head to top him, nor out of his feet to be trampled upon him, but out of his side to be equal to him, under his arm to be protected, and near his heart to be loved. You and I should demonstrate what it truly means to live as equal partners with distinct differences. And I will say to you that if men love their wives in such a way women wouldn't have near the issue of submitting to their leadership. What woman would not want to lovingly follow a leader who will put her first, who will sacrifice himself, who will give himself in every way for her good and for her glory? The Christ-centered design of marriage Paul speaks about it, and he reminds us of the consecrated design of the marriage. There's some type of consecration. There's some kind of kingdom work that comes out of this type of marriage. Husbands, you and I have a responsibility to lead our wives and to lead our families. Tony Evans said that Spiritual headship is God telling the woman to duck so he can punch the man. How does he punch? He punches us because we're responsible. Because we have accountability in how we lead our families. Notice again verse 26 and verse 27 speaks of Jesus says that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word that he might present her to himself as a glorious church not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing 
but that she should be holy and without blemish. Now listen to me. I'm not Jesus in Leslie's life. There's only one Jesus. He's the one that works on her, and he's the one that works on me. But God has called me to help her in her spiritual growth, and he has called her to help me in my spiritual growth. The marriage relationship was designed to promote spiritual growth. So what, that's what Jesus is talking about here. That we're going to be presentable to him one day. We do it through Jesus, but we encourage one another. Oh, when I was studying this week, again, it says in the creation event that God provided a helper. He looked around, he couldn't find a compatible helper, a suitable helper for Adam. But then he found this helper. The word helper is like a military term that means military reinforcements. Think about that just a moment, guys. God looked at man and he said, he needs some military reinforcement. And who did he bring? He, he brought this woman into your life to help you, to encourage you, and to reinforce. And it is a relationship where hopefully you are helping her grow and she is helping you grow and there is transformation being made. I've often said one of the greatest things I could say about Leslie is she makes me a better person. She makes me a better person for Christ. We should look and see who that individual is that we're married to and think, how can we help them in their growth in Christ? In a loving way, in a compassionate way, who would he or she be? Who does God want them to be? I read a question that was asked to Michelangelo one time was, how can you carve such statues? I mean, you've got such an animal here or this there. How, how do you carve up all this thing? How do you make such masterpieces? And he looked and he said, well, let's say, for example, I'm going to carve a horse. He said, if I'm going to carve a horse, I just envision the horse and then I chip away everything else that's not the horse. You know, God sees us for who we are, and thank God he chips away all the bad stuff as we are sanctified through the Holy Spirit and through the Word. But you and I need to see each other as men and women, and we need to see our spouses and say, this is who God created them to be. Let, let's help them. As God works to chip these things off, let us be aids in that process so that they can be who they need to be because our marriages should reflect the kingdom hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Again, it says that he might present her to himself a glorious church, that one day we're going to be presented to him, right? We're going to be the glorious church, cleansed, washed, standing before at this marriage ceremony. He uses this analogy of verse 32. He says, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Understand he's using all of this of marriage and saying, really, it also boils down to Christ and the church. Because marriages affect the kingdom. Because the marriage should reflect the picture of what God is doing 
in the kingdom. Someone has said, the purpose of marriage and family is to advance God's kingdom and history through replicating the image of God and exercising dominion over the earth. Genesis 1, 28. We are to demonstrate the kingdom in our marriages. John Piper said marriage is temporary and it will finally give way to the relationship to which it was pointing all along, Christ and the church. The way a picture is no longer needed when you see face to face. Tim Keller said marriage only gives us a sign and a foretaste of the future kingdom of God. Marriage has a consecrated design and purpose to show us the kingdom. Let me ask you today, folks. Is your marriage representing the kingdom of God? Is your marriage demonstrating the kingdom purposes? Is your marriage pointing people toward Christ and his church? Let me come down to this. Husbands, how are you loving your wives in such a way that you are advancing the kingdom of God? Not only in your spousal relationship, but in your family relationship, in your community relationship, and beyond. How are you demonstrating the creational design, the Christ-centered design, and the consecrated design that God has for marriage? I have a feeling that this morning that some of us guys in particular need to do some business with the Lord. We need to pause and we need to say, God, I'm sorry. Some of us need to stop and say, God, I need your strength. I need your spirit to remind me of who I need to be. Some of us need to stop today and say, all right, God, I've been letting this slip a while. I've been passive in some of these things, but today I take the initiative. And I want to follow you first so that I can lead in an effective way. Today, many of us just need to do some business with the Lord. And I pray that you would hear what he says. And that during this invitation and commitment, you would give yourself once again, guys, to the Lord's leadership and to your wife and to your family. Ladies, would you step and be the person that God wants you to be to encourage your husband, to be there for him, to respect him, to... Divine, to help him and encourage him each and every day. Would you hear God's word? And would you respond as we have these moments of commitment? Let's pray together. Father, Lord, what a difficult passage in so many ways, but not just too difficult in trying to explain or work through Lord, to be honest, difficulty of responding to. Because, Lord, there are so many of us in this place, including this pastor, that fails in this regard. 
God, I pray that today you would touch us afresh and new here. That we as husbands would be the husbands you would call us to be for your kingdom purposes. Remind us today of your love, the love that you gave and showed through Jesus Christ. And God, may we manifest that love in our marriage relationships and in our families. God, today there are some marriages that are hanging by a thread. And I pray that, Lord, you would use whatever resource to strengthen them. But, Lord, I pray right now that your spirit would be all over those situations and, and just bind the two into one again. God, help us to be the men and women we should be. We pray now that you would give us the liberty to commit, the courage to stand together as families. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand?